You are listening to Conversations on the Rocks, the podcast where my guest chooses the topic, and I am your host, Kristen Dokas. This week, I speak with a parenting expert on the impact that COVID-19 has had on our children, but especially the impact that it's had on our teenagers, and explains why it has affected them in a much different way than it has impacted us as adults. So grab your favorite cocktail or a cup of joe, and let's get started. Hi, everybody. This is Kristen Dokus, and I am joined today by Carrie O'Driscoll, who is a writer, parenting coach, and a relationship advocate. And we're going to talk a little bit today about our teenagers, or all of our kids, but specifically our teenagers, and how we as parents and adults can help support them during uh, while we're all being sheltered in place. Hopefully, it won't be much longer. Um, so we also want to chat a little bit about how we can help them prepare for life outside of shelter in place and what we can expect as a new normal, especially considering we as adults aren't even sure what the new normal is. So I say welcome. Hi, Carrie. Welcome. Hi. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I'm excited to talk to you. We were talking a little bit about this uh, in the pre-show and uh, you and I both have a big, soft, tender space in our hearts for teenagers. Um, you've been, you've got a one book specifically for that, right? Uh, one teenager, teenage, one teenager at a time. Um, and then you've also got a couple of other books that we're going to talk about too. So Let's talk, just jump straight into it. What's, how can we as parents help our kids who are so social? They are not used to this. This is so hard for them. Yeah. And, you know, it's not only that they're not used to it. It's that literally developmentally right now, their job is to be social. You know, their whole world is around navigating new social connections outside of the family and figuring out which ones are positive and which ones aren't and how, you know, how do we navigate all of that? So literally what's happening with them right now is they are unable to do the most elemental basic thing that they're supposed to be doing right now. (laughs) Yeah. And so I think that the first thing we as parents and educators too can do is acknowledge that and not minimize it. You know, I think it's, common for parents to be like, oh, please quit being so dramatic or, you know, um, we're all suffering here or whatever. And it's, it's, that feels dismissive to a kid. And it's also kind of gaslighting because developmentally they're different than us. And so it's hard for us to remember what that was like, or imagine what that would have been like for us when we were teenagers, but it is, it's incredibly painful, um, for them. And we all know that that sort of virtual social connection is nowhere near as satisfying as the in-person connection. And so, but, but kids are still going to really seek that out. And so if I'm a parent and I'm super annoyed with my teenager, cause they're literally on FaceTime for hours and hours and hours with their friends, instead of studying or doing their chores or hanging out with family, cause I'm thinking, Hey, there's this great opportunity for family time what I need to understand is that they're acting from a really basic emotional need right now, which is connecting with other people outside of their family. And they're doing it because that's their biological, physiological, social imperative during this time in their lives. Yeah. With, I've got three daughters. Uh, One's 21. One will be 19 (laughs) in two weeks. And then the other one is 16. And as far as that whole 
let's come together as a big happy family. We really haven't. We haven't spent that much time together. And yeah. um, one of the other things that I do is I coach parents on social media and technology for their kids, right? And like you said, that's one of the biggest arguments I always hear from their parents is like, well, they're not spending time. You can't take away in person. I'm like, that's not what they're doing. This is a supplement. This is the equivalent of us Gen Xers you know, talking on the phone all day long or all night long. And, you know, that didn't, that didn't take away from our input. You know, that's where we really connected was in person. And since they're not able to do that right now, it's really challenging. I mean, I've let mine go out. I've let mine go and, you know, go to the park with their friends and, you know, giving them the the drill down. And, you know, I, and I have to have confidence in them that they are doing the right thing. One of the hardest things I have seen is having that balance between their safety and their mental health. Well, and I think that's the other thing about parenting young people this age is that we really have to shift from that model of, you know, tightly controlling all of their circumstances. You know, it's, we can't just say to them anymore, okay, you're going to have a sandwich for lunch. Would you like tuna or peanut butter? Right. right. Because these kids know there's pizza, there are tacos, <laughs> you know, there's soup. Like they know there are other options. So it's our job to sort of share power with them. And I call it minding the levees. Mm -hmm. And as they get older, we like move the levees farther and farther apart and know that within the levees, they get to bounce around and screw up and make mistakes in a safe place. Yes, yes. And as they get older, we start to move the levees and eventually those levees will disappear in favor of levees that they create for themselves. But we have to teach them about those boundaries and how to make good, safe decisions within those boundaries. That's our job right, right. now. Our job right. is not to say, this is all you can have, period, end of story, because that that ruins relationships. Absolutely. And I see that a lot with my kids' friends. You know, I shifted from parent to coach about their freshman year in high school. Yeah. Well, developmentally, that's that's where they are, right? I mean, their brains are beginning at that point to be able to integrate information across a bunch of different subjects, and they're able to see gray areas. So if we as parents pretend that everything is still black and white, that's one of the things I love about teenagers is they can sniff out BS a mile away. Yes, they can. And and they'll know that we're lying about it. And what that means is that is an erosion of trust, in us as parents, because they know we're lying to them at that point. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So we want them to trust us. And, and if we want to partner with them in creating opportunities to make mistakes in a safe place, then we have to be willing to share power. Agreed. A hundred percent. Yeah. The, um, I see that, like I said, I see that with a, a lot of the parents of their friends who have not shifted that. And it's an interesting dynamic when those friends are in my household, the difference of how I treat them as I can even, and I'm not judging anyone, please just uh, no one think that I am. You do you, that's you do your parenting the way you do your parenting. I do mine because I knew from the very beginning when my first one was born that my job as a parent was to produce a responsible young adult who could stand on their own when they left my nest. Yeah. I want them gone eventually. (laughs) Well, sure. Of course we do. But do we want them, you know, I mean, we, that's what I think is like, we have to be super intentional about intentional about what it is that we want for them. And, 
I mean, again, I'm with you, like no judgment at all. I don't judge other people's parenting styles unless you're, you know, physically or emotionally abusing your child. And then, yep. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I'm we'll judge you all day long. <laughs> you know, but I think so many of us just knee jerk parent the way that we were parented and the vast majority of us, you know, in this, in, in my age range, were raised by baby boomers and we were parented out of fear. Yes. And control. Yep. And that didn't leave room for making mistakes. And it also set us up to think that the world was a really scary place and that everybody was out to get us. Mm-hmm. And, and so if I'm being intentional about that, I, you know, have to think about, do I want my children to base their decisions and their lives on optimism and hope and abundance or scarcity and fear and avoidance? You know, that's a choice. And it's hard to do the first part because you have to have some faith. You know, you have to trust in your own parenting, which most of us don't. (laughs) We're constantly questioning ourselves. And you have to And you have to believe that the world is a safe place full of optimism and hope and abundance. And that's a really scary thing if you were parented out of fear. But the other thing for me is I want a relationship with my kids. I, that, and I will prioritize relationship over power any day. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, It's interesting. You know, we grew up with the stranger danger mentality, right? Mm -hmm. And our kids being so technologically connected, it's very similar. However, if you're parenting out of fear, you're not giving them the tools they need to be able to recognize the sexual predators online, um, the catfishing, all the other, all the other very, very real dangers that are out there. And I mean, so you've got to, if you're parenting out of fear instead of logic, they don't know what to look for. They don't, and, and they were going back to the relationship piece of it. They're not going, um, they're not going to come to you because you have not developed that relationship for them, for that safe, that, for that safe haven. And that's one of the big things I teach my, my parents in these classes is like, you've got to have the world's greatest poker face when it comes to dealing with your kids, social media, digital use, because if you yeah. kind of turn at them and kind of give them the hairy eyeball for the something small, when something major comes along, which almost, I, I guarantee you, almost all of us have encountered it they're not going to feel safe coming to you to say, Hey, this person is doing this. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's another thing. It's another way we need to be really intentional about the message that we want to send to our kids, you know? And so if my message is around, I want you to really be able to think critically, then I need to model that for you and not do that knee jerk fear response. When I hear about something that's kind of scary, you know, I need to be able to unpack what my fears are and my internal biases are and like put those aside and then model thinking critically, who is this person? How do you know them? Why is it important that you connect with them? Maybe it isn't. Why don't you block them? You know, I mean, like all of those kinds of things. And that's, that is absolutely critical. And I think it's another way that we as parents can support our kids right now, because the other thing that we need to know as parents about kids this age is that they are ruled by emotion. I mean, the, the fight, flight, freeze center in their brain is literally swollen to three times its normal size during adolescence. Interesting. Everything that comes into the adolescent brain is filtered 
through the fight flight fear response first. And with an undeveloped prefrontal cortex, that means that even if they can get it through there without having a massive emotional response, they still don't have the critical thinking skills to be completely logical about it. And once we realize that as parents, then we can stop saying, oh my God, why are you freaking out? This is not a big deal. They're literally physiologically wired to freak out. That's, that's their, the water they swim in during adolescence. And so if we can teach them to practice those critical thinking skills, to acknowledge the emotion, yep, that was really scary, or dang, that was really sad. Oh my gosh, that feels devastating. And you have every right to be upset about that. And when those feelings have subsided, let's talk about what do we do and how do we put this in context? And we give them opportunities to practice. But what's happening right now for our kids is fight, flight, fear is happening all day long. It's being triggered all day long because we're asking them to do the things that are completely counter to their physiology right now. We're asking them to stay away from their friends and their social networks. We're asking them to compartmentalize everything. I mean, most schools that are doing online classes are like, 30 minute class, 30 minute break, 30 minute class, 30 minute break, or there, you know, there's all these little, you know, everything's compartmentalized. Their brains right now are primed for big abstract making connections across, you know, different subjects. So we're asking them to do the complete opposite of that. So they're triggered literally all day long, every day. And then if we come at them and say, well, now that you're home, you need to hang out with your little brother and do a puzzle. You need to do some chores for me. You need to not sleep so much. You need to get off your butt and study because now we can look over their shoulder while they're in online class, right? That's us adding triggers on top of trigger. Whereas if we can say to them, this sucks. Uncertainty is the worst. Being away from your friends is horrible. I mean, I have a high school senior right now How devastating is that? Not only are we away from our friends, we get no graduation ceremony. There's no prom. (laughs) There's no graduation party. She will be 18 in a few weeks. No birthday party for you. Like that's devastating. You know what? If you want to sleep until noon and feed your feelings, knock yourself out. That's how it's been in my house. Um, you know, I've let them take ownership of it. You know, I'm going to trust you that you, well, I've only got one in high school still, but you know, I'm, I'm trusting you. I'm keeping an eye on the portal and I'm not going to sit there and, you know, you do, you do it when you want to do it. You know what the schedule is. I trust you and the repercussions are yours if you don't. So, I mean, and that's exactly same thing. You want to stay up till two o'clock in the morning and sleep till noon? Have at it. Have at it. Absolutely. And I'm so much a proponent of like, there are all these other intangible things that they are learning or could be learning right now if we let them. Like, you know, my kid has discovered that one thing that she can do that's going to relieve stress for her is bake. Like, she's never done that before. And she makes dinner at least once a week. She goes online and finds some ridiculously difficult recipe, you know, and puts together everything in the pantry and does it. And that, that feels good to her. So she's learning that, you know, kids could be learning what they do. What's a good stress response. Maybe I want to, you know, learn how to paint. Maybe running is good for me. You know, all these kids whose days were absolutely jam packed from beginning to end. Maybe you had a zero period for band and then you had service hours after school and then you got soccer practice till 9 PM or whatever. Right now you've got none of that. 
So what can you discover? You can discover what makes you happy. You can discover what really stresses you out. You can discover what, what's good to do when you're stressed out. Like all of those things are survival coping mechanisms that are going to serve you for the rest of your life. You can learn calculus when you're 30. Right. You really can. I don't care. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, or you can do nothing. Yeah. You can, or you can completely do nothing, but it's interesting. Um, uh, the, the part about, uh, the scheduling. Yeah. I mean, these kids are, are so used to going for, you know, 14, 15 hours with absolutely zero downtime and to all of a sudden just a slam on the brakes. You're yeah. right about how it just triggers that because all of a sudden they've got all this time on their hands, just like we do, you know, yeah. I'm bored. I'm bored out of my mind. And yeah. it's, you know, how it was so annoying at the very beginning of this, how, you know, everybody is like, look at all the things that you can do. And I even said it, I can do this and I can do that and I can do this. But, you know, our brains are just, we're dealing with something we've never had to deal with. The closest thing we've had to, to deal with something like this was 9-11. That is the closest thing that anyone in our generation can come close to um, having something. Yeah. But that didn't stop our lives. It changed it, but it didn't stop it. Well, and I think that's a good point too, because the other thing about this particular generation of kids, this Gen Z group of kids, is they were born into 9-11 or shortly thereafter. And since then, there, except for the last two months, has been at least one school shooting every single month their entire lives. You know, the, the crises that they were born into, I mean, they're witnessing the Me Too movement. They're witnessing massive climate change. I mean, these kids have lived with like collective trauma their entire lives. That's a great point. You're right. That is a very good point. And what's happening, and, and in the midst of all of that, they checked all the boxes, right? They did the service hours. I didn't have to do 60 service hours to graduate from high school. I didn't have to take driver's ed to get my driver's license. I didn't have to specialize in a sport by the time I was fifth or sixth grade and play that same sport all year round. You know, and these kids are taking AP classes. When, you know, they're like checking all the boxes because we promised them that if you do all these things, you're going to get into a good college. And then if you get into a good college and you continue checking all the boxes, you're going to get a good job. Well, these are the kids that are graduating from high school right now who don't know if there's going to be a college to go to. And the college yeah, students the kids don't know if they're going to have a job. <laughs> exactly. I have a college student and she worked her tail off to get an internship for the summer. And I don't think it's going to happen. And so it's not only this collective trauma that's happening, but to them specifically, they are suffering major losses because we made promises to them that absolutely cannot come true now. Yeah, that's, that's terrifying. Sad. Give yeah. your kid a break. Let them go out and shoot hoops for three hours if that's what they want to do. Honestly. Yes, I agree 100%. And like I said, I've been a little, I, I mean, I've been very diligent, but I've also, I, I just cannot have three mentally broken human beings coming out of this. I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm a homebody. You know, yeah. give me wine and cheese. I'm solid. <laughs> Seriously. I mean, now, granted, there were a couple of places I like to go, and I'm looking forward to being able to go to them again, but yeah. this is not their lives at all. Yeah. No, it's not. And it's, and I, so I think it's really, really important that we give them and ourselves some slack and some understanding and recognize that it's not always going to be like this, but 
right now, while it's like this, we need to understand that our nervous systems are on overdrive and our nervous systems weren't designed to be on overdrive for long periods of time. Mm -hmm. And this is exhausting. I mean, my 20 year old was texting me the other day because she's, she lives in a completely different state all the way across the country from me, which is really sad and kind of terrifying for me. But she was texting me yesterday and she said, I'm so tired. Why am I so tired? Like, I'm not doing, I'm, she's taking finals and she's studying, but she's like, I don't, I haven't been out of sweats in like three months, you know, why am I so tired? And I said, honey, your nervous system is amped. I mean, even if you're not physically doing anything, your body is using so much energy right now just to get you up and out of bed and motivated to do anything right now, you know? If you need to just go sit by the lake and stare for an hour and a half, please go do that. I'm Eugene B. Sims, and my award-winning blog is now a full-fledged podcast. Get it just about anywhere that you get podcasts and even YouTube. Yeah, we're doing everything possible uh, to keep ourselves sane. And that does take a lot of energy. And, you know, the other uh, thing that I experienced with my girls is, I let them know when I'm having an anxious day. I have probably, I probably have at least one or two good anxiety ridden days a week. I mean, and I, and talking about energy, I, I mentally and physically force myself not to allow it to happen more, but you know, bottling all of that up is what creates the one very anxiety ridden day. So, you know, I've just have been trying to be you know good about showing them it's okay. It's okay to freak out. It's normal. I, I'm yep. having a very anxious day today. So if I snap at you, this is why. Oh, absolutely. Because what we're doing when we do that kind of stuff is we give our kids permission to be human, right? We're showing them. I mean, and it's the same thing when we apologize, right? If I, like I was, I came downstairs the other day. I have two teenagers living in my house right now. One of them is mine and one of the other one isn't. And we've all been together for six or seven weeks just actually it's closer to eight weeks and I'm glad the two teenagers have each other, but you know, I came downstairs the other day and they had made this gigantic mess in the kitchen because they had decided they wanted a diner style breakfast, which was totally fine. And And it was just a complete disaster. And I like to work at the kitchen table. So I came downstairs and I looked at them and I was like, okay, fair warning. I'm officially annoyed with everything today. So I apologize if I completely lose it with you later. At some point, I know you guys are busy and enjoying your wonderful diner style breakfast right now. At some point, I need you to clean the kitchen. And I'm not going to assume I know what your schedule is today with online classes or whatever obligations you have. You just need to know I really like my fuse is super short today. (laughs) The transparency is key. Yeah. Letting them know because what that allows them to do then is you know, if my daughter yesterday, my daughter was feeling really, really super annoyed. And she just kind of looked at me and was like, I we were doing a project together for the local food bank. And she did it for a while. And then she finally looked at me and she said, you know what, I can't do this anymore. I just, I can't even physically be here anymore. Can I leave? And I was like, yep, sure can. Thanks for telling me. Like, I would so much rather have that feedback than you know, her to have her hold it in and then completely lose it over some seemingly random thing and scream at me and bite my head off. Absolutely. You know? So the fact that we have that established relationship and she was able to 
notice that she hit her wall and go, yep, I can't be here anymore. I'm out. <laughs> it's like, cool. Okay, I'll finish. <laughs> Isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing what transparency and communication can do for people? <laughs> it, it, it really is. And it's also amazing how hard it is to sometimes create that dynamic. Mm-hmm. You know, especially if you're parenting by fear. You know, if you feel like you absolutely have to be in control all the time, my house, my rules, you know, kind of, you know, if you are the kind of parent that rules with an iron fist, again, no judgment, you do you. But what I tell parents that I work with is what you're doing is you're teaching your kid either how to be a really good liar, because if they want to do that thing that you are, that you've told them is absolutely off limits, no matter what, we're not even going to discuss it. Um, they're going to find a way to do it, especially if other people are doing it or you, or they'll be ridiculously compliant. And then when they leave home, they will believe that good, healthy relationships require one person to be in power and one person to be really compliant. What a great point. And I don't know about you, but I don't want, I have two daughters and I do not ever want my daughters to go out into the world and think it's normal for them to not have any power or agency in a relationship. That is such a great point. (laughs) Yeah, that's, it's a perfect setup for a codependent relationship. It is. And, and I can say that because that's how I was parented and that's how a lot of my relationships were until I figured that out on my own that I actually do get to have agency and power over my own self. And sometimes that means I fail miserably and pay some big consequences, but that's learning. I've been doing, and we, we might have to have a, a whole, we might have to come back together and have a whole episode on this because I've been doing a lot of reading and a lot of, um, research on that because it took me until I think it was last summer that I finally put the pieces together and as to what where some of my um, attachment issues were and guess where it came from oh I think it's super common I think that that was you know that our parents generation those baby boomers they came by it honestly and then they just handed it right off to us you know but I was fortunate enough to have done a lot of that work before I had kids. And then when my kids were little, um, so that I could understand and be super intentional about parenting. And now, you know, my kids are phenomenal at looking at me when I say something, you know, cause I'll still revert to some of those things every once in a while. And especially my oldest will look at me and she'll say, uh, that's yours to own mom. Good. <laughs> That and is I'll be like, great. Oh, okay. Or she'll say, that was a choice. You made that choice. I didn't force you to do that. <laughs> so you can't be angry with me about it. It's like, oh, yep. <laughs> projection. Pro- projecting of <laughs> the projection of feelings and emotions has been a big one that I've been working on my girls. You own that. Yeah, absolutely. Like you did that. I was talking to somebody the other day, a, a young person who's a friend of mine and she was, you know, just racked with guilt. I hurt her. I made her feel unsafe. I mean, you know, she's saying all this stuff. I said, no, you didn't. You said X. And at that point, this other person had a responsibility to say to you, wow, I don't like that. That's really painful. Or I feel 
hurt by that. And then the two of you get to, you know, you, you have an opportunity to apologize and say, okay, how can I change my behavior in the future? But this person didn't tell you that. And they, you know, buried it and they let you think that everything was fine for a really long time. And so you continued to act that way. And she wasn't being, you know, purposely emotionally abusive or whatever. She was, it was acting out of ignorance, right? So it's like, it's a two-way thing. You know, we all have to own our own responses and we have to have the courage to say to that other person, that thing you just said or did really bothers me. And here's why taking ownership. All right. We're almost at the end of our time. I can't believe it, but so let's talk a little bit about your, let's talk a little bit about your book. So um, you've got a new one and you've obviously been writing a lot here because all of your books seem to have come out over the past couple of years. (laughs) They did. It was kind of crazy. It had the way that it happened, but yeah. So I have two books through an organization I started a few years ago called the self project. And that's my um, that's where I work with educators and parents of adolescents. So I do parenting coaching and also um, continuing education on social emotional learning for educators. Um, so I have a mindful parenting book called The Self Project for Parents, and that's specifically for parents of adolescents. And then the book that came out last August is One Teenager at a Time, Developing um, Self-Awareness and Critical Thinking in Adolescents. And that's for educators and for parents. It's really a curriculum for social emotional learning that's rooted in adolescent brain and social development and mindfulness and nonviolent communication. So it's really comprehensive. um, And there's lots of fun discussion prompts and activities and things in there. And then I have a memoir actually that just came out in February called Truth Has a Different Shape. And that really traces a lot of the way that I was parented and um, how I came to a lot of my views around mindful parenting and being intentional and having compassion and really rooting relationships in mutual, unconditional, positive regard. Excellent. And where can we find these books? I mean, you can really find them anywhere. You can find them online pretty much anywhere. I love pointing people, for the memoir, I love pointing people to bookshop.org or indiebound.com because they support independent publishers and independent booksellers. The other book, One Teenager at a Time, you can find literally anywhere. Um, Probably the Amazon is the easiest, but you can also buy it straight from the publisher through my website, which is theselfproject.com. And I I will be adding all these links into the show notes so that people can easily find them. And the parenting book as well, um, you can get off the website or you can get from Amazon. And then the website, I'm in the works. I'm trying to update it because it's not the most user-friendly. I created it myself, so it's not the most user-friendly, but there are lots of resources on there for parents and for educators, as well as a whole bunch of guided meditations for teens. Oh, that's nice. Nice. I like that. Carrie, thank you so much for spending time with me today. I I learned a lot. I'm sure that uh, the, all the listeners will learn a lot as well. And, you know, in the meantime, all we can do is just lead with compassion and a lot of understanding and, you know, patience and forgiveness in some instances, because nobody's on their best behavior right now. We're all caged little animals. 
you gave some great insight as to why they're acting the way they are and how we can help them. And I really appreciate that. Thank you for having me. This was really fun. Yeah, definitely. Let's, let's chat again. (laughs) Absolutely. You're on the hook now. And that, my friends, is a wrap on this week's show. Thanks so much for listening. You can get all of the episodes at conversationsontherocks.com. You can also follow me on Twitter, and that's at Kristen Dokas, K-R-I-S-T-E-N-D-A-U-K-A-S. Until next week, keep it real, and let's hear what your story is.